You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. We're so glad you're worshiping with us today. We had a fantastic kickoff last Sunday. Had about 600 folks in several different services. We had two live, live stream services. People dialing in from all over the country. Uh, I just dated dialing in from all over the country. They're live streaming from all over the country. Uh, and then we had a great party afterwards. So thank you to all the staff and volunteers who helped make that possible. We couldn't do it without you. And I want to ask that you would be in prayer for one of our staff members. Um, Many of you have been reading the news about what's happening in Afghanistan. One of our staff members was a refugee from Afghanistan 16 years ago and was resettled here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, has worked on our staff for 16 years, and now we are trying to work to get his family, uh, extended family, out of Afghanistan safely. Uh, They're in physical peril. So I'd appreciate if you just lift that family up and pray for them. Uh, in the coming days. Well, last week we began our fall sermon series studying the book of Acts. It was my argument that one of the central themes of Acts is that we are better together. Christians don't exist in isolation. We come in community. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean that we are going to be better together. Last Sunday, we focused in on Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. If we were to read chapter 2, we'd see the story of Pentecost, when God sends the Holy Spirit on the early church, and they become the church. They become the Christian community united in Jesus Christ, and we would have seen that Peter gets up and gives the first Christian sermon, and it must have been a good one because 3,000 people are converted that day. It was fantastic. And then Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us kind of a a summary statement of the state of the church in the first century there in the opening uh, months and years of the church. And let me read it to you. It's Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher. You might show us not how we can be exactly like the early church, but Lord, maybe how we can follow in that tradition in our own unique way. Help us to see how we can be a community that is better together. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you remember the first time you ever stayed at someone's house? I remember the feeling of the surprise of like going, oh my goodness, you mean people don't live exactly like we do? Let me give you an idea of my house growing up. Number one, our house was clean. I mean clean like you could eat off the floor clean. 
There was never dust. Everything was always in its right place. It's fantastic. Second, we had, we had a television that I was allowed to watch during the week one hour. And so I always chose the second half of the NBA basketball game on TNT. This is one of the reasons it's been easy for me to become an Atlanta Hawks fan, because I grew up watching the human highlight factory, Dominique Wilkins, every Friday night. And third, our house was steeped in religion. It was a requirement of residency that you went to church every Sunday. Okay? Every Sunday. Now, when I was a kid, I thought everybody else lived like we did. I remember going over to Aaron's house. And, you know, I grew up in the Northwest. We don't have tornadoes there. But it was funny because it looked like a tornado had come through his house. And I remember going... And everybody was fine with it. They're like, this is great. I'm like, I remember going over to the other Jeff's house, and I remember his family, they allowed him to watch rated R movies. So whenever I'd go stay over there, I had this like list I kept of like Chuck Norris and Steven Seagal movies I wanted to watch. <laughs> or there was my friend Nate. It blew me away, blew my mind that his parents, if they woke up on a Sunday and didn't feel like it, they didn't go to church. I remember I stayed over there one Sunday and we didn't go to church and I felt such shame and guilt. I'm like, I'm so gonna be busted. I remember these experiences. The first time I discovered that, that there are other ways to be home, to be a family. If this is true for families, it is very true for churches. There are, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, thousands of denominations worldwide. Thousands of them. And some of us might see this as a flaw, but there are those who see this as more of a feature. One of the best statements on the reality of the diversity of the church came in this interview that I read with one of my favorite authors, Marilyn Robinson. She was being interviewed by the Paris Review of Books, and the interviewer kind of wanted to catch her, you could tell. And so he asked her this question. He says, Someone's, someone once said that there has to be a problem with Christianity because 400 denominations later, they still can't get it right. Some of us are like, well, fair enough. But listen to Robinson's answer. She says, people in, the in, people in the churches worry about that. But would we be richer for the loss of Catholicism? Would we be richer for the loss of the Quakers? Isn't it true that every one of these traditions expresses Christianity in a way that the other traditions could not? It's prismatic. This beautiful word, it's prismatic. We celebrate the prismatic diversity of the church. The way that God has graced and blessed all cultures. When it comes to the diversity of the church, we express the gospel in our own unique way. If that's how we're different though, how are we the same? Where do we overlap? How, what qualities should we have that make us the same, that make us the church. I think in our passage today, we have four qualities, four features that every church should embody. We should embody them probably in our own unique way, but they should be there. The first feature is a church is a learning community. It's a learning community. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You would be shocked at how uneducated Christians that aren't members of RPC are 
uneducated about their own faith. A few years ago, I read a, a Pew study that was conducted with American Christians. It found that 75% of Americans believe that the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. If you thought that, it doesn't say that. In fact, I would make the argument it says the exact opposite thing of that. That God helps us when we can't help our, ourselves. But so many people believe this because we are uneducated about our faith. I've heard it said that Peter on that first sermon welcomed 3,000 people to kindergarten class. They had to learn. Had to take time to learn about their faith. The church is a kind of school where we are being educated in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, and this is a lifelong process. Two aspects here. There's first, we have our posture when we come into church, and second, what do we come to learn? Well, our posture is we are a community of lifelong learners. We are ready to be educated. We are all students. I don't care how young or how old you might be. There's always something for us to learn. I'll be honest. If you don't learn something in today's sermon, I have failed at my job. St. Augustine in the 4th century wrote really the first book on Christian preaching. It's called On, um, on Christian Teaching or On Christian Doctrine. He said, a good sermon should do three things. It should instruct it should motivate, and it should delight. It should instruct. You should learn something when you come to church. You should be a student. Education is something we prioritize. No matter how young or old we might be, we are all students. We all come to learn. Well, what are we supposed to learn? In the first century, it says the disciples' teaching. Why the disciples? Well, because they were the eyewitnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were there at ground zero. They'd seen it with their own eyes and heard it with their own ears. Now, there's a question that many of us are kind of bashful probably about asking. But if we're honest with, with each other, we're, we have some, how did the books in the Bible make it into the Bible? Why did they include some books and not include others? This is a great question. Occasionally you'll see on a news program they'll say, oh, we've just discovered this book that's been excluded from the Bible. It should have been included. And I'll just roll my eyes. I'm just like, they obviously don't know a lot about the early church's decision-making process. Okay? There are four features, four kind of criteria that it took for a book to make it into our New Testament Bible. Now, this isn't like they had a PowerPoint deck and we're like rolling through it. But as you read through the first century kind of text, you can see these criteria emerge. Number one, the book to make it into the New Testament had to be widely used. It wasn't just a book for this local community. It was used everywhere. So a book was read in Jerusalem and Alexandria. It was read in Rome was read in Ephesus. It was widely used. Second, it was considered to be orthodox. By orthodox, we mean it, agree, it agreed with what they called the rule of faith. Kind of summary of the rule of faith is our Apostles' Creed. The stories, the teachings agreed with the Apostles' Creed. Number three, it was inspired. It's really amazing to watch the early church comment on these books. It's almost like they recognize the Spirit's presence in speaking through these books. And fourth, they're apostolic. These books that make it into our New Testament 
are written either by eyewitnesses themselves or a community that gathers around the eyewitnesses. They were there at the very beginning to bear witness to what God had done in Jesus Christ in the life, death, and resurrection and teachings of Jesus. That's what we are here to learn. We stand on the shoulders of people that go all the way back 2,000 years, learning again and again for our own time and our own day. Theology is the discipline that helps us read the Bible better. Now, we can become too heady. We can become kind of arrogant in our academic knowledge. And that's why we need the other three features of what it takes to be church. The second feature of the church is the church is a sharing community. We share in two senses. We share of ourselves with one another and we share of our resources. Verse 44, <laughs> all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, this word common, originally I'd wanted to title this sermon series Koinonia. I was like, oh, people are going to love it. They'll see Koinonia, you know, on the signs outside. They'll just be like, oh, I can't miss that sermon series. The staff said, Jeff, you're dreaming. <laughs> but one of the reasons I wanted to highlight this word Koinonia is it appears 19 times in the book of Acts. Luke mentions it again and again and again. And it's a rare word in the Greek and ancient world, Koinonia. But it means literally they had all things in common. Um, Quinity means deep fellowship, deep friendship. They had all things in common. They had all things in koinos. It's describing the unique qualities of the community that is gathered together. That they're sharing of themselves and sharing of their resources. The Christian community is a generous community where we share of ourselves in generosity and share of our resources. Check this out, verse 44 and 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. The church is a place where we connect people, but we also connect resources to needs. Connect one another and we connect resources to needs. Connecting one another, my Tuesday morning Bible study, we've been getting together for about four and a half years since I've been here at RPC, and we've been just, I, we just have a great fun time reading the Bible, joking with each other, but a couple months ago, somebody said, you know, I just don't feel like I'm getting to know the participants in the study. I hear you talk a lot, Jeff, but we'd love to hear from somebody else. And so we've started a moment with me portion at the beginning of the study when I can remember that we get together and one guy shares his life story. And then other guys can say, oh, I can ask him about that. Oh, he encountered something in his life that I can learn from. We're connecting one another, helping each other get to know each other. But we are also not just sharing of ourselves, we're sharing of our resources. In middle Georgia, outside of America, so you maybe have heard of Koinonia Farms. This is a farm that was founded in the middle of the 20th century by a Baptist theologian and pastor named Clarence Jordan. Clarence, if you've ever read the Cotton Patch Gospel, he's the author of that. And it was a, a place meant for people of different racial backgrounds to come together and to build deep friendships across their differences. And they keep what's, in, to this day, they keep what they call a common purse. That means they collect all of their resources and anybody is allowed to draw from it to meet their needs. To meet their needs. Jordan called it a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God in, uh, just outside of Americas. Out of Quinnia Farms was born Habitat for Humanity. 
transform the world. Just this little demonstration plot in middle Georgia, trying to make a difference. Let us share our resources to meet needs. There's mutual friendship, sharing with one another of ourselves and sharing of our resources. Third, the church is a worshiping community. Listen to this, verse 46. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. They broke bread at home. It's probably an allusion to the sacrament of Holy Communion, that they were celebrating at home. But there's this sense that worship wasn't just what they did on Sunday mornings for an hour, but worship was a way of life that the community embodied. They, as we like to say these days, did life together. And so this is one of the reasons at church, I love seeing kids running around the halls with their buddies, women sitting in rooms, crocheting and telling stories with one another, guys going out fishing, young men coming into this space to play basketball, people gathering around the food trucks last week. Did you know the youth group, they did this very spiritual practice of spitting crickets last week? Yeah, it's disgusting. But... This is the kinds of things, the activities about what it means to be a worshiping community. Now, that stuff doesn't sound very spiritual or religious, but it is. It's about what makes us who we are. It makes us the church. The fourth feature of the church is the church is a growing community. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved their numbers were growing, but also people's lives were being changed. Growth is not just numerical, it's also qualitative. People's lives are expanding, they're learning, they're flourishing. Salvation doesn't mean just fire insurance from hell. Okay? It happens in this life. We hopefully, when we're better together, we help people flourish in their own callings in their lives together. One of the things that's kind of been a riddle for scholars is why did the early Christian church have explosive growth? And as they've studied it, they've said, well, people that were often excluded from the society and the cultural institutions of power at that time in the first century found value and meaning in the church. So women had value and places of leadership in the early church. Servants and slaves who were oppressed and ostracized by the Roman Empire, found value, purpose, and meaning in the church. People who no one else seemed to care about found that they were cared for in the early church. This is one of the reasons I've always wanted to be part of a church that's radically inclusive, a place where our doors are open to all people. We welcome people in. People find value and meaning. Why? Because that's how Jesus acted. That's how the early church acted, and in that tradition, that's how we should act. It's a rare thing, but it can be transformative when we see it. I have a friend who's a youth pastor in uh, New Jersey. And this guy's like the last, or one of the last guys you ever would have thought would have become a youth pastor. But he took his youth group there in New Jersey from being just a handful of kids to the second largest youth group in New Jersey. And, we were, and I was just kind of mystified by the whole thing. And I was like, man, what is your secret? And so we were on vacation one time, and I said, Doug, you got to tell me, man. How'd you do it? What'd you do? Did you, did you buy the latest video games? He said, no. I said, did you have all the fancy food and, and drinks? He said, no. 
I said, did you attract all the cool kids and then everybody else kind of came along and you kind of grew like that? He said, no. I said, well, then how'd you do it, man? You got to tell, give me the secret. He said, we had two clear rules at the beginning. Number one, everyone was welcome and no one was allowed to make fun of anyone else. That was a community standard that we shared. No one was allowed to make fun of anyone else. Everyone was welcome. And second, we were all about serving our community. Welcoming and serving. And I said, oh man, where'd you get this idea? I said, did you talk to some youth ministry consultants? Did you read some, you know, books, deep theology? You got to tell me how you you figured this out. And he goes, Jeff, I read the Bible. I read the book of Acts. It still works as long as we have our priorities in the right place. Being a growing community, not just numerical growth, but qualitative growth. These are the four features that the people of God should embody. We just can seem overwhelming, but all sometimes you have to do is you have to jump in. And sometimes when you encounter a new culture, a transformation, you just got to dive in and get involved. I remember going over to Courtney's house um, for the first time for Thanksgiving. And it was the first time I'd been around her entire family. And let's just say she grew up in a household that was very different than mine. We won't go into the details. But I went over there for Thanksgiving, and her brother's like bouncing the basketball against the walls. I'm trying not to get hit. Two people are arguing about politics. Football is blaring from the TV. The dog is barking and jumping on me, trying to rub all his hair off on me. And I am overwhelmed. And I scurry off to a bedroom and shut the door. I put my head in my hands and was like, I did not come ready for this. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. And then I had a decision to make. Was I going to flee out the back door? Or was I going to say, pull up my big boy pants and say, here we go. We're going to jump in. I think we are better together when you throw yourself in. RPC, yes, is a learning community. It's a sharing community. It's a worshiping community. And because you're here, it's a growing community. Friends, we are better when we are together. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for gathering us in your spirit and in your name. We pray that we might embody these ideals, that we might help people flourish, that we might learn, that we might share, and that we might grow. Thank you for what you have done here at RPCs since 1839. We pray that we might continue that great growth in the future. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.